Testing one, two, testing one, two. Hey, Professor. I hope you have a great night, a great day, or a great evening. My name is Matthew Urian. I just want to make sure this microphone is good before we start. I welcome you to my podcast. I'm doing an biography on Aristotle. So, uh, first things first, Aristotle is one of the most well-known philosophers of all time, uh, known by many as the first scientist. Uh, He studied a variety of things such as physics, meteorology, biology, psychology. He basically did it all. He was a genius, and we owe him a lot for all of his uh, research and his studies and his um, theories. Everything that he did was influential and beneficial to society and uh, what we know today. But I want to start from the beginning. So Aristotle was born in Stegira in Greece in 384 BC. And uh, his father was a physician. And uh, unfortunately, both his uh, mother and his father died when he was very young. So not much is known about either of them, uh, except that his father was a physician and he studied medicine. And so after this, his older sister took care of uh, Aristotle up until he was 17. And um, not much is known about Aristotle's early education, uh, either because um, this was so, so long ago, there's not too many documents to back up anything except uh, some speculate that he studied medicine, just like his father. So, when Aristotle was 17, he was sent to Athens, which Athens, at the time, was the best place in the planet to study and to go to school. And that's exactly what he did. He enrolled in the academy. And what the academy was, was a school founded by Plato. Now, Plato was a extremely influential uh, philosopher at the time. And we'll hear a little bit more about him in a moment um, because him and Aristotle would often um, go head to head about their way of thinking. And uh, a lot of people actually thought that Aristotle would take over after uh, Plato passed away or stepped down. Uh, But that wasn't the case. As I stated, they had very um, distinct ways of thinking and mythologies, and uh, one big example is that Plato believed knowledge came from reason. So you were born with knowledge. You just gotta think about it. Uh, think hard enough, and you'll remember something crucial. Uh, and Aristotle said it came from experimentation with the real world. So uh, experiences and uh, what you see and you feel as uh, as your life goes on. You gain knowledge from those things. Um, so you're not born with them, but instead you experience them. You learn. <clears throat> so 20 years go by, and um, Aristotle is a phenomenal student at the academy. Um, he, from Even from a very early age, he was a, a star student. He was um, coming up with his own ways of thinking and um, 
was basically a, a young philosopher before he was even 30. So um, by the time he was 37, it's been 20 years since he was at the academy, Plato passed away. And uh, as stated earlier, he did not, in fact, take over the academy, but instead he left. He left the academy, <clears throat> which was then when he went to Macedonia and met with King Philip II. And uh, he actually had a very interesting task for Plato, which was, I'm, I'm sorry, for Aristotle, um, which was to tutor his uh, young son which was Alexander. And now we know Alexander as Alexander the Great. And uh, so he tutored him for for a while. And eventually Alexander took over the throne at 20 years old when his father, when his father, um, well, passed away and uh, started conquering the world. But <laughs> back to Aristotle. Um, Aristotle came back to Athens uh, a few years later and founded his own academy called the Lyceum in 335 BC. So it was a, a couple years after he uh, had been to Macedonia. So he came back to Athens, started his own academy, and uh, he had a very distinct uh, way of teaching, which is something that he was very known for, was his uh, teaching style. It was very unorthodox at the time, and I argues still is uh, he would take his students on walks throughout the academy, through gardens. And he would talk and uh, encourage thinking. So by walking around and giving his lectures um, outside, he would encourage free thinking and new ideas. And uh, this is something that he did for his time at the academy, or I'm sorry, at, at at his academy, the Lyceum. And during that time, he married a woman named Pythias. And uh, we haven't talked about his relationships yet up until this point. So yeah, Aristotle, uh, he was um, he was getting into a relationship with this woman named Pythias, uh, which he married and then had a daughter with, which they also named Pythias. Um, unfortunately, the only thing we know about her is that she died 10 years after her marriage uh, with Aristotle. Um, so unfortunately, it did not last uh, that, that much time. But while he was at the Lyceum, he studied a variety of, uh, of things such as biology, which, is, was, which was a huge one, meteorology as well. Um, we won't get too much into them because... We're talking about his uh, his relation to psychology in this point, but I will briefly touch on it because it's a huge part of his uh, his life. So after all, this is a biography. <clears throat> so Aristotle came up with an early version of the water cycle. He would see the the clouds come down with rain, and he would think that water would evaporate, go up into the clouds and come back down in the form of raindrops and eventually back up to the sky, to the clouds, and, well, a cycle. So, of course, this was incredibly impressive for the time. I mean, this is 335 BC. 
talking about the water cycle, it's extremely impressive. But um, as for uh, psychology, one of the main things that he helped contribute with was the scientific method. So the scientific method was uh, very unique to Aristotle because it fit right in with his uh, way of thinking, which was to make observations, experience things, and then make inferences and conclusions on them. So he said that if we sense our environment, we can come to the conclusion about those experiences from what we see and what we feel. Aristotle believed that the best way to acquire knowledge was to gather information and think about said information. So a lot of thinking and pondering on your experiences that help you to come up with a conclusion about something, hence the scientific method, uh, especially the version that we know today. It's very, very similar. You come up with hypothesis and eventually get to a conclusion. And uh, this way of thinking, he combined empiricism and rationalism, and he used those two uh, methods to come up with his scientific method. So he combined two existing ideas and blended them into one. So uh, extremely, extremely beneficial to the psychology world at this time. The scientific method was uh, something that he came up with, and we still talk about this day. So basically the founding father of the scientific method. Something else that he came up with was the theory of memory. And this goes back to Plato. Uh, like I said, we bring him up a little bit more. Um, so Plato had this idea that all our memories are already within us. We just gotta uh, bring them out. You know, as we grow older, we'll remember them. But Aristotle thought that was not quite, quite the case. So his theory of memory said that memory comes from past memory experiences. And basically from what we associate something as good or bad, uh, safe or dangerous, uh, flavorful or distasteful. Uh, our memories come from our past experiences. So he had a um, he had four laws of memory uh, that'll go over. So the first one was continuity. So what continuity was, is that if you have a good time with your friends, for example, and you associate your good time with your friends, and it continues to happen, you'll think of being with your friends as having a good time, and having a good time as probably being with your friends. So that association is um, it's continuous, and that reflects in our memory. So we think about those things. And remember them. The second law was similarity. So this was thinking of one thing may make you think of another. Basically is the concept of this one. Uh, this could be something such as me thinking I'm hardworking. Being disciplined is similar to being hardworking. So I might think of myself as also being disciplined because I am hardworking. Does that make sense? So basically... Uh, the two are similar enough to where you can think of both as being one or close enough. You associate the two together, and that's in your memory. So when you think of one, you think of the other. 
and the third one is going to be contrast. So uh, this is the opposite of the second law that we just went over. So thinking of one thing such as uh, optimism um, may make you think of the opposite, which is pessimism. So you think of one, you think of the opposite as well. And uh, you associate the two together as being polar opposites. So happy, sad, uh, angry, joyful. So, uh, And then for the last one, the fourth one, it's going to be frequency. And this one's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. The more two events co-occur, the stronger the association between those will be. So going back to the friends example, if you continuously and frequently have a good time with your friends, you're going to have a strong association between those two. Is basically what that fourth law says. So all these four laws make up the four laws of memory that Aristotle came up with, which was extremely, extremely beneficial to the psychology world and the new way of thinking. Because at the time, this was brand new knowledge. This theory was fresh, and it made more sense uh, to a lot of people. So you're not born with these memories. You make them from your experiences in the real world. And this is something that he taught at the Lyceum for many, many years. And something I'll touch on very briefly. Uh, it's not exactly psychology related, but it's his way of living. His way of virtue is um, a term that he used. So to be virtuous to Aristotle was to be the best, absolute best human person, character you could be. So, to put it very broadly, very vaguely, uh, as you would, a virtuous person knows what to do, knows what to say, and knows how to act in any situation and picks the best outcome. So, the reason that's so vague is because it's supposed to be. Uh, there is no set way to act. There's no said way to say or speak uh, in a certain situation. But a virtuous person will always think of the best thing to say, the best way to act. So it's not about being a good person, but being virtuous will automatically make you a good person. So having these, um, having these actions, taking these actions, it'll automatically make you a good person because you make the best choice and that's your goal is to make uh, the best of anything uh, that comes across in your life. So it could be, for example, you see um, you see a lot of guys at the bar, you buy them a drink, you buy everybody a bar to drink. But it's because you want to satisfy them, you want to make people happy. However, you need that money for your rent. So you're being careless, but you're trying to be um, helpful, um, someone that's a people pleaser. But you need to find an in-between. So um, in between of carelessness and courageousness, you got to find an, a middle ground. So a virtuous person will always, always be able to find that middle ground, no matter what. And that's what makes a virtuous person. And to him, that was achieving the biggest, highest form of uh, character you could ever have. So um, after all, this is a biography, like I said, and that was something huge that he would uh, emphasize in his life and in his studies. <clears throat> so... Uh, eventually, he left the Lyceum because Alexander the Great died. 
323 BC. And the reason that this affected him was because the government was in shambles after he died. The Catholic Church was after anybody that might be uh, against their way of thinking. So he was accused of, <clears throat> excuse me, he was accused of impurity. And uh, so he left Athens and he fled to an island in Greece, Euboea. And um, unfortunately, he died a year later at 62 years old. So what's known about Aristotle now is uh, his teachings, of course, and his work that was left behind. He was uh, said to have at least 200 pieces of work. And unfortunately, only about 31 remain or were ever found to this day. So he wasn't very good at uh, keeping track of his work or really caring to uh, store it. So um, that's unfortunate for what we know about him today. But what we do know is that he affected psychology as a field immensely. He was the founding father of the scientific method, um, <clears throat> came up with revolutionary theories about memory. And uh, especially to this day, these still stand, and for someone that did it in 320 BC is incredible and absolutely revolutionary and a building block for what we have today. So without Aristotle, we probably wouldn't get the scientific method for another couple of years, maybe decades, hundreds of years, and as well as his, uh, his theory of memory. Um, all of his research helped with future developments of psychology and uh, he's basically one of the founding fathers of psychology uh, <laughs> to put it shortly so that's all that i have uh, for aristotle i hope you enjoyed this podcast you learned something new and uh, that you have a good rest of your day or your night or your evening and i will see you next time